Super good to be with you again. I'm always blessed to gather with the people of God to open the Word of God and hear from the Spirit of God. And so you can open your Bibles today to Mark chapter 10. And today we're going to be looking at verses 23 to 34. And uh, before we jump into the text, um, I just want to bring us up to speed. Uh, recall what we heard last week in the Gospel account of, of Mark. And uh, Pastor Rob taught last week, and it was fantastic. And I'm so thankful to have uh, such a great leadership surrounding us in this church. Uh, we've got Pastor Ben Kai and Pastor Rob Orr. And we have uh, next Sunday, Pastor Ben Kim being ordained. So you're going to want to be uh, joining us next week. So super excited for just what God's doing in, in our church with that. So um Rob's message last week was uh, titled, Coming to Jesus. And he, we, you know, we put a great emphasis on that here at Calvary Chapel Palace. It's coming to Jesus. You hear us say on the regular, bring the real you to the real Jesus. Come as you are to Jesus. He'll, he'll accept you as you are, but we also ought to know that he's not going to leave us as we are. And uh, you see, bring the real you to the real Jesus does cost something. And it means that we're going to be changed to look more like Jesus. And he's never going to leave you the same. He's always going to keep growing you. And so we saw last week three different types of people come to Jesus. We saw the religious Pharisees, and they came to Jesus in order to test him. We saw the children, and they came to Jesus in order to be touched by him. And then we saw the rich young ruler who came but then left Jesus because that young man decided to trust in his treasures instead of trusting in Jesus. And only one of those groups of people that came to Jesus uh, were, were coming to him in a way that would give entrance into the kingdom of God, and that was the children. And those who were religious and trust in their morals, and those who are rich and trust in their treasures, they're going to have a really hard time entering the kingdom of God. And that is exactly where we find ourselves today as Jesus explains this to his disciples in verse 23. So Mark chapter 10, beginning now at verse 23, we read, And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words. We hear words like difficult, and we hear them associated with the kingdom of God. And this could be something that would cause us to be disheartened, and yet today, as Ben-Kai said, with you, God, all things are possible. So let us have faith and let us have hope today as we hear your words and let us respond to you appropriately, Lord. We ask that today we would really bring the real us to the real Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we're told that Jesus looked around and as he looked around, I think he could tell how shocked he was or how shocked, I should say, the disciples were. Verse 24 says that the disciples were amazed at his words. So Jesus just had three back-to-back -back conversations uh, with different people. And this last guy, this rich young ruler, was like the cream of the crop. 
You know, in basketball, you have your first draft pick. He was the guy that, that everybody thought, man, this is a guy to be had. Think about it. He was rich. He had a lot of money, and he had resources, and this could be helpful to ministry. The disciples, you know, wouldn't mind sleeping in some nicer places and eating some nicer meals. And, and think about the money that they could have used to do more effective ministry. And they're thinking, man, we could really use this guy, you know. Uh, yet Jesus says to this rich young ruler, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And as we know, he was very sad about that, and he left Jesus. We also know that he was young. He had strength, and he had energy. And, and I might be going out on, on a limb here to say this, but I think that the guy probably had some youthful charisma, you know? To be rich is one thing, and to be a ruler is another, and yet this man also had his youthfulness. Come on, Jesus, he's hitting some pretty good marks here. He, he seems to be the perfect guy for effective ministry to add to this group. And then not only that, but he was a ruler. And this is probably the greatest factor for why they wanted him. He had power. He had societal influence. He could, you know, move Jesus up the ladder, if you will, to eventually overthrow the Roman government. Here the disciples are thinking with their messianic expectation that, hey, we're oppressed people right now. We got to get Rome out of here. and We could really use this ruler to drive Jesus forward and he could be our king. So this guy is the guy we need. He's rich. He's young. He's a ruler. But Jesus gave that man both the call and the cost of discipleship, and the man was sad, and he left Jesus. He didn't want to count the cost. See, Jesus was not willing to change the cost and the call of discipleship just to win this one guy over, and the message remained the same for him as it does for everyone else, which is that if anyone desires to come after Jesus, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow Jesus. Jesus gave this man that general call to discipleship, but there was also, as we learned last week, a specific cost for that one man. He was to take his great possessions, which were great. There was a lot of them. And he was to sell them and to give the earnings to the poor. And this man would have stored up treasures in heaven, and then he could come and be a follower of Jesus. But the rich young ruler rejected the opportunity and the invitation, and he was disheartened. And why was the man disheartened? Well, just in that word, you hear heart. He was disheartened because his heart was not set upon heaven. His heart was still bound upon the earth. And if Jesus is going to call you to himself, he's going to say, set your heart on things above and not on things below. So the disciples felt that this was a huge loss for the kingdom, but Jesus doesn't seem to be phased by it. Jesus was looking for childlike faith. Jesus was seeking those who would be servants of all. He was not seeking 
earthly gain, human effort, or worldly power. Jesus wants disciples, and he wants the disciples that he wants, not who we think he wants. Certainly not by the measures of success or the conditions that we place upon what we think discipleship really is. Jesus sets the terms of discipleship, and he changes them for no one. And so he says there how hard it is for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God. And that statement is rhetorical. It's meant to you say, yeah, it's, it's really hard. And we'll continue to see why in just a moment. Look at verses 24 to 25 in your Bible. It says, And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed because this isn't what they would have done. In their natural mind, and their normal thinking, to have wealth and power is something that gives you more access, not less access. Right? Isn't that the natural thinking? Having wealth and power gives you more access, not less access access but Jesus was not teaching his disciples normal thinking he was not giving them man's wisdom but a wisdom which comes above and the wisdom of God in the kingdom of God is paradoxical it is counter to everything that we think and experience and believe in the natural realm there is a different way in the kingdom of God and in the kingdom of God riches are not everything did you know that God paves the streets of heaven with the material that society has always deemed as the highest commodity? In heaven, gold is just asphalt. <laughs> and so looking at their amazement, Jesus says to them, children. And you, you better believe that Jesus is intentionally addressing his disciples in that way because he just told them, his disciples, that unless you become like a child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is calling his disciples back to a childlike identity where money and power have no say in your joy. Does a child allow money or power to have say in their joy? No. I can buy my son a $1 Hot Wheel, and he's stoked out of his mind. <laughs> money and power have no say upon a child's joy. And so he says, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. I mean, Jesus is saying just in general, entering the kingdom is hard because, why? It requires disassociation from self and reassociation with God. And how hard is that for us to do? That's hard. That's really hard. Now, in order to picture just how difficult it is to really enter the kingdom of God, Jesus says in verse 25, look again with me. It says, it is easier for a camel 
to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, as, as you may know, Bible commentators and teachers have all tried to find fun ways as to what Jesus meant by this statement. What is the camel and what is the eye of the needle? And it doesn't ultimately matter whether you think the camel is an animal or a rope or if the needle is an actual sewing needle or a small opening into the wall of a city. The point is, is that there is something big trying to make its way through something small. There is something wide that's trying to make its way through something narrow. And the big and the wide will always have trouble with the small and the narrow. Simply put, it is difficult. It is really difficult for people to enter the narrow way of the kingdom if they are trusting and hanging on to their big wealth and their wide path that they are seeking to be satisfied with. So the point of the message is that we're all rich. So good luck. Let's pray. Right? <laughs> what if the message ended there? Could you imagine? The message does not end there. The teaching of Jesus does not end with this fatalistic mentality, but the teaching of Jesus is there in your Bibles. It's there to say that it is hard for wealthy people to enter the kingdom of God. And look, most people don't think of themselves as rich. Why? Because there is almost always someone with more. But let's face it. We live in a country of wealth. We live in California, which has great wealth. We live in Palos Verdes or the South Bay, which by global standards, we are very wealthy people. And the point of Jesus in his message is not for us to smash on rich people and fatalistically say that if you're wealthy, that you're going to be eternally separated from God just by the sheer amount of money that you have in your bank account. That's not the message of Jesus. And I'm not going to preach today in order to guilt you into the things that you have earned or received financially. That's not, that's not for me to do. But what I will do by the word of God and trusting that the spirit of God today will bring conviction into our hearts is I'm going to say this. Where have you put your trust and your love? See, money is not evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil, 1 Timothy 6.10. And Jesus is simply challenging our love. He's seeking to find out where we have placed our love and where we have placed our trust. So verse 26, it says, And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? So the disciples are already jarred. I'm kind of looking out and seeing that you kind of all seem to be a little jarred by what was just said. <laughs> but, but there's hope in this message. And yes, this is a narrow way. This is a... a great call and cost of being a disciple of Jesus. But, but listen, 
they got this straight and clear teaching from Jesus on the values of the kingdom and who enters and who doesn't enter, and, and they were exceedingly astonished. And the narrow way of Jesus now looked that much more narrow to the disciples. And maybe you've thought for a long time that the way of Jesus is pretty wide and pretty easy. I just, I just don't see that in the scripture. It is narrow, it is difficult. Being a Christian isn't easy. And, and so there's this wonderful question that's asked that, that I can hardly wait to get the answer to, which is in verse 20, uh, uh, where, where they ask that question, then who can be saved? We, we hear a message like that from Jesus of how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God, and it's like, well, then how? Well, verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And I love how Mark gives such good detail in his gospel. I'm thankful for it, him saying that Jesus looked at them. And, and I, I wish I could see the replay on Jesus' face as he looked at his disciples, because I imagine that as He's looking out. They're all slouched over and downcast, saying, oh, who then can be saved? And they're feeling so disheartened by these words of Jesus. And then Jesus looks at them, standing up tall, with a huge smile upon his face. And imagine him saying those words, with man, possible, but with God, all things possible. And I don't feel like I need to give much interpretation or application to those verses there because I think that if you're going to get it, you're going to get it. You're going to understand what that means when it says, for us, it's impossible, but with God, it's not. You're going to understand that God is God and we are not, and what we cannot do, he can do because he is God, because all things in the Greek means all things and all things are possible with God. Do you believe that today? Amen? I hope you do, because that answer to the question, then who can be saved? The answer is all can be saved. All can be saved because all things are possible with God. You can't save yourself. You have to understand that that's impossible, yet God can save you. And nothing is impossible for him. He can save you and he can do it today. He is looking out upon you now with that same look that he had for his disciples. And he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny self and come. Come, come, come follow me. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop trusting in your moral behavior. Stop trusting in your riches, in your youth, in your power, or any other thing other than trusting in Jesus. Trust in Jesus alone to save you, and you will be saved. Amen? Amen. I'm eager to see perhaps some make that decision of faith today, but we still have a few verses that I think will only add to this great call of being a disciple. In verse 28, it says, we need, uh, it, it says, Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and followed you. <laughs> Don't you just love Peter? <laughs> I love it. Um, you know, Peter has so much to learn still. 
And, and would we today avoid the mistake that Peter made here, which is to hear the words of Jesus about the cost and the call of disciples and say, oh yeah, I've got that figured out, I'm good. Left everything, I'm following Jesus, I'm his disciple, I'm good, and walk away like unchanged. I mean, that convicts me. How often I hear the call and the cost of following Jesus and I'm like, yeah, I've done that, left everything to follow Jesus. But friends, there is always more to leave and more to follow with Jesus. Please read and listen intently to these next words that Jesus speaks in verse 29. It says, Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospels who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. In order to capture what he means by everything, Jesus goes for everything. Your family, your house, your land. I mean, what else is there after that? Um, could you leave all of that for the sake of, of Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. You know, what if Jesus were to ask you to leave that which you trust the most in? To leave the thing that you love the most. Maybe it would be your five to ten year investment plan. Perhaps it would be that education track that you've followed for the last 12 to 16 years. Your family, your home, your career, which, by the way, are all gifts from God, which are to be stewarded, and I trust that you are stewarding those things well. They are a gift from God, and you should receive them with gladness and joy. But if Jesus were to ask you to leave any of it for his sake in the gospel, could you do it? Because if you did, if you did leave it all, you would get back all of it and more, both in this life and in the life to come, because it has something with it here that keeps so many back from this kind of full surrender. Did you see it there in the text? There's one part of that promise of Jesus. It all sounds great until there's this, like this one part in the promise where it's like, ooh, is that really in there? It's in there. Look at it. End of verse 30. With persecutions. That is the thing that holds so many back from this call of Jesus. Because it does cost something. I'm going to tell you a quick story about a man named John Rogers. It was 1555 in England, and John Rogers was on trial because he believed that the word of God should be translated so that common people could read the Bible in their own language. And he taught truths from the Bible which opposed the Roman church at that time, and Queen Mary, who was uh, reigning at that time, she was also known as Bloody Mary, not because of the drink, but because of how many Christians she killed. She persecuted him and others for the sake of the gospel. 
and Rogers was eventually sentenced to death by being burned at the stake. And the testimony of his death, which you can read about in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, describes his death as if he were going to his wedding. His wife and his 11 children met him on the road as he went to the stake, the youngest being a nursing infant in his mother's arms. And he was given one last opportunity to revoke his teachings before being placed into the fire. But into the fire he went. And as he was in there, history tells us that he was washing his hands in the flames as if it was cold water. And then he lifted up his hands to heaven and he yielded his spirit. This promise of Jesus is for men like John Rogers. But it's for any and all who can leave everything to follow Jesus. Now, we're not going to all be called to die a martyr's death. But some have and some will. That's why the promise was made by Jesus, to leave mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters and children for my sake in the gospel's will, both in this life and in the life to come, inherit more. But what Jesus does also give this promise to is for any and all who would leave anything for Jesus would understand that Jesus promises more. Doesn't mean it doesn't come without persecution, but he promises more. And look, this is a big call. But Jesus doesn't call us to something that he himself was unwilling to do. If you look at this last portion of our text, verse 32 and 34, we're going to see Jesus gave everything. It says, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid, and taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him, flog him, kill him. And after three days, he will rise. You know, hearing that makes everything that we've heard today possible and able to be lived out. Because, guys, listen, Jesus gave it all. Jesus took up a cross and died, and so he will empower you to give it all, and he will empower you to take up your cross and die to follow him. And this is the third and the final time that Jesus predicts his death, and the disciples have come a long ways since that first time they heard him predict his death, but they still had more to go because discipleship, we always, always are going to walk closer and further with Jesus. We're never done. We're never done, guys. It, it, I can't preach this message. This message is higher than me. But listen, if, if I'm preaching messages that I'm living out perfectly, I'm preaching too low. I'm preaching this high message of the call and the cost of discipleship, and I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that, God. But if I'm preaching 
messages that you all walk away, oh, I got that. I've left everything to follow Jesus. How are we ever going to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ? And the disciples were following Jesus, and he was leading the way because Jesus always leads the way. You're not following me. <laughs> I'm following Jesus. So, you, I mean, you could follow me as I follow Christ. That's fine, but we're all following Jesus, and he will always go further and beyond what we've ever seen and been able to know because Jesus was truly delivered over to death, mocked and spit on and flogged and killed, and three days later, the grave couldn't hold him. Jesus rose from the dead. That's the gospel right there, that Jesus died on a cross to save sinners like you and me. For all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, and yet Jesus offers salvation to all he set a path for us which we can die to ourselves and live for God. He rose from the dead so that we can walk in newness of life. We can be fully identified with Jesus and pleasing to God. And that's why John Rogers could do what he did. That's why you can do what God is calling you to do. And I don't know what that is. I'm not the Holy Spirit in your life. But you know what God is calling you to do. You know the sins that he's calling you sur to surrender. You know the path and the calling. You, you know where he, he maybe he's wanting to take you to take the gospel to distant lands. You know, I'm not the Holy Spirit in your life, but, but, but if he's calling, could you go? And this question we come back to at the end here, then who can be saved? This difficult, this narrow way who can do it? Who can be saved? Well, you can. You can be saved if you place your trust and love in Jesus today. You can be saved. You can consider the cost, answer the call, and enter the kingdom of God. You're going to be a work in progress. You're not going to have it all figured out right off the bat. None of us are claiming that we've got this all dialed. However, you can surrender it all to Jesus today. You can consider what this means to have a life surrender to Jesus, both in this life and then the promise of blessing now and in the eternal life to come. There is an eternal life that is in the balances in this decision. What you decide today about how you're going to follow Jesus matters for eternity. Don't be like the rich young ruler who trusted in his riches and his youthfulness and his power. If you're young today, I'm just going to call you out right now. If you're young today, don't be like, oh, I'll start following Jesus when I'm older. Like, I'm going to do my own thing right now. Devote these young years of your life to Jesus now, and you will not regret it. Any older people say amen? Amen. Okay. Awesome. Um, if you're rich, that call to go sell everything and follow Jesus, like, Maybe God's calling you to that, but that's not the call for ev everyone. But the call is, don't trust in your riches. Don't place your love and your trust in your riches. It can't hold it. You know? The vault at Chase cannot hold your love. It can't. You need Jesus. As you follow Jesus, you need to be willing to say, I will be what he is calling to me, to, me to be, and I will go 
where he is calling me to go. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for the gift of your word, which is so perfect. Is able to cut into the heart, the discerner of thoughts, the divides joints and marrows. And Lord, we know our hearts. We know how disheartened we could become at words like this. But Lord, lift up our hearts. Lord, set our hearts upon heaven where you are. And God, let us follow you today and every day. In the ways that we have failed to follow you in this way, God, we ask for your blood to cleanse. Your mercies are new every morning. And God, I pray for full surrender today for all of us to say, Lord, we want to go further with you, closer to you. We want to be what you're calling us to be, and we want to go where you're calling us to go. So lead us, Jesus. You take the front, and we'll follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.